Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Well, there, Emily. That is, you're always just one step, two Did you like steps that? ahead. Did you like that? It sounded kind of old school. Well, hello there. Mm, I don't know if I like that. You don't like that one? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's funny just to like every now and then just go, well, hello there. Mm, no, <laughs> I don't. I think it sounds like the old prospector on the Saturday Night Live You know, it kind of does. Yeah. It kind of does. Um, can we talk <laughs> about your situation right now? I am on the mend. I think God has me on a serious sit your butt down time out. Um, I've been battling a strep infection that kind of turned crazy autoimmune overdrive responses, um, which basically means my body's just fighting really hard and I need to take a rest. And so in order to take a rest, what you decided to do the other night was to save us money on a costume for our son because Halloween is tomorrow. <laughs> and he wanted to be Marshmallow, not DJ Marshmallow, right, because you can't say DJ Marshmallow, but right. you say Marshmallow. <laughs> True. And yes. you're also on a steroid, which gives you superhuman power and Just, energy. Yeah, zany. It makes me crazy. And I... I f- Okay, so here's what I'm learning. I thought I had a good handle on what it means to rest because I do practice stillness every day. I really do. I start my morning pretty still. But what I don't like is being told I have to stay there. Yeah. So You're not good at that. I'm not good at that. So I, um, yeah, I get bored. And so I did some needlepoint embroidery kind of work and then I I decided to do this marshmallow helmet which was like cut a trash can with box cutters because it said so on Pinterest which is just stupid it was 100% like should come with warning labels and I basically almost died and chopped my hand and it was ridiculous I mean it it's the worst cut I've never I've never done anything I don't I don't typically like cut your, you don't usually cut yourself I don't us- no and I don't I don't typically work with like power or like really hardcore projects like this. Like it, it is really strange. So anyway, I have a hand wound, nothing but a flesh wound. Yeah. So um, the uh, cheap costume is now going to cost us like $2 million because right. we had to go to the ER for yeah. like the umpteenth time <laughs> yeah. this month. And, and to top it all off, Gus came home from school yesterday with a store tummy. And so he's not even sure he's going to be able to freaking go trick or treating. I can't even with <laughs> this. I can't no, even I'm like, are you joking me? Like what in the world? So, Welcome to our October. Yeah. So you're sitting here in your PJs, all cozy. And can, can I just add that, you know, I'm looking out the window while you're talking and a police officer just walked up. 
I'm not sure what's going on here at the JSL headquarters, hey. but it's never a dull moment, people. Never a dull moment. Where are we well, going today, Em? Okay, today we have just a dear, dear friend, sage, and guide mentor in my life who I met truly by divine providence uh, through the Allender Center. And um, her name is Laurie Proctor, and she has her own organization called So That, S-O-W, That. And really, she has been a guide for me in recovering my story of trauma, how to work with it, helping me to understand what trauma is. She's a certified Enneagram coach. Um, She is just a dear person. You love her because she's an Enneagram 8. She is. She's like my sister. <laughs> so this is like back to back. We've had two female Enneagram 8s on That's right. the podcast, which is really funny. Um, but Laurie lives in Chicago, but she does work um, anywhere that her clients um, call her and and she comes in. She's worked with JSL before, and we are just so glad to have Laurie Proctor on the JSL podcast Yay. today. Hi guys, how are you? Well, we're good. We're we're better now that you're here. Maybe you can help oh. us get all this. Hey, out. and Lori, you're are you in Chicago right now? Sorry, say that. Are again? you are you in Chicago currently? I am, and it was snowing this morning. I was just about to ask, wow. what's the weather like? It's cold. It's definitely not Texas weather. Well, yeah. it's pretty chilly here today. I think it's a it's a it's a freezing 40 degrees. <laughs> wow. It is cold. is cold. Yeah, it's cold yeah. and dreary, but it's it's definitely snow makes it a little prettier. Um, yeah. Well, okay, Laurie. So we, has it been three years since we've met? I was trying I to. It has been three. Right? Three years. Okay. So three yep. years ago that we gathered for a story workshop, which you were a facilitator, a certified Allender Center story guide. And so um, you took me through this process over the weekend that literally felt like I was, it was this deep dive. Like I felt like I was there for a solid month. It was one of those like (laughs) Lord of the Rings moment where you're like, oh, where have I been? You know, what have I been conquering? Um, But it was such a beautiful process. And you were a guide to me and then four other individuals through that process that um, just bonded us and really, really formed a special um, kinship and and sisterhood. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to bring you on this podcast because we have had so many questions um, from listeners and from the line of work that we do about what trauma is. And of course, we're, we're learning that, you know, when 15 years ago, when we got into this ministry, we had zero clue and concept about what we would be facing, not just in their lives, but in our own. Mm -hmm. And through the process, we've uncovered this understanding of trauma and you have been a great guide in that. So we just wanted to bring you Mm -hmm. on the podcast so you can teach our listeners about kind of what is trauma, what is narrative story work. Of course, you're a certified Enneagram coach. I know that somehow plays a role in there in your skill set. Um, but tell us, mm-hmm. tell our listeners about who you are and what you do in the world, and, um, and that'll give us kind of a good launch pad. Sure. Yes. First of all, I'm just so happy to be with the two of you. You are probably two of my favorite people in the world. Aww. <laughs> 
And yeah, Dave and I, my husband, talk about you guys all the time. And we are like on our daughter, Emma, oh, because know. she's thinking of going to Baylor. We're Yay. like, go to Baylor. Yes, please <laughs> come to, to Baylor. We see the Mills all the time. <laughs> yes. And we get to see you guys. It was so fun having your whole family in Texas. It was just, uh, it was a blast. It was, wasn't long enough. It was enough. so fun. I know. We talk about it all the time. We miss you guys. So yeah, it's a little bit about me. I there's three things I love so much in this world besides my people and my friends and my family, but it's, it's story work Mm. and trauma work, which I kind of group together. Uh, It's the Enneagram and then it's helping people to see and remember the glory that is in them. Mm. Like those three things, like that, those things just make me come alive. Mm. Like that's the reason I'm, I'm put on this planet to, to do those three things. And so, yes, Emily, getting to do that story workshop with you and the other women in our sacred little group three years ago, I still look back at that time. There was just something, and I've done a lot of, lot of story workshops, but there was something really holy about our, Mm. our time there. And it's still a little otherworldly. Yeah. And you know, it it really kind of was, of course, that's the only one that I've ever done, but I will say, I I think that all of us coming there were, were sexual abuse survivors, first of all. Um, so that is the level. And we were all women who were working with other women in commercial sex exploitation. So there was like a very common thread of sexual violence that we were seeking to restore within ourselves so that we could bring about that glory and goodness into the world for other survivors. Um, so I don't know if that, it made a difference, but we definitely, even though it was like Uganda, I mean, sweet Eunice and Bronwyn in Australia, Jenny in Thailand, me in the U S and it was just like all corners of the world. Um, just this beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, and really, I think I had a better grip and I want you to kind of just give us an understanding after that weekend, I had a better understanding of how impactful some trauma is that probably I wasn't willing to name as trauma. Mm, Yes. So what is, can you just help us define what is trauma? Sure. So trauma, the way I define trauma is it's a response to a distressing or a disturbing event in our life that overwhelms our system Mm. and our ability to cope. And, and that could be so many things, right? But it's our trauma is our inability to metabolize an event Mm. through our system, through our minds, through our body and through our emotions. And, and so that event could be a big T trauma, like, uh, like you cutting your hand, that Mm -hmm. is a big T trauma. Mm -hmm. There's blood, there's, there's just shock to your system when something like that happens. And then, and other big T traumas are like nine 11 Mm -hmm. or war or Mm -hmm. the Holocaust. Those Mm -hmm. are big collective traumas Mm -hmm. that we'd call big T trauma. It's life threatening. Uh, there's injury, there's scars, right? There's, Mm -hmm. So big T trauma would include anything violent against our bodies, Mm. um, any type of sexual abuse Mm -hmm. or um, harassment, Mm -hmm. anything physical. Those are big T traumas. And so I've even heard it said like that 
growing up in poverty, of course, is big T trauma, right? Because it's Absolutely. a scar- yep. scarcity of resources, not knowing, you know, where your next meal or if your lights are going to be on, or if you're going to have shelter, that, that is big T trauma. Like, that's right. Because it's a physical need that's not getting met, okay. uh, just a basic need of ours. Mm-hmm. But then there's little T trauma and little T trauma is non-life-threatening experiences. Mm. And that could be emotional abuse, bullying, harassment, Mm. loss of a relationship, neglect. And little t trauma is just, it can be just as devastating to our personhood than big T trauma. And this is what's not understood by a lot of people because they're like, oh, well, I just lost my um, friend, my relationship with my friend ended or I went through a divorce, or, okay, so my parents kind of neglected me a bit growing up. And we kind of push that under the rug, like it's not a big deal. But it could have just as devastating effects on our body and on our mind and on our spirit as big T trauma. Mm. And so trauma is trauma. And when we have not been able to metabolize it, right, with our mind, with our body, with our emotions, it lingers and it stays with us and our bodies hold it. Can you talk about what what happens in the body when mm-hmm. when the body experiences trauma? Sure. Well, <laughs> do you guys have a couple weeks? Because I know. Take that long. I know. But giving just like an overview, there's there's something called fight, flight, or freeze, and I'm sure you know you've heard you've, you guys have heard of that, and your listeners have heard of that. But that is just a way that we have been designed to survive life threatening uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. And what happens is this little almond shaped uh, nugget in our brain mm-hmm. called the amygdala releases hormones and cortisol, mm-hmm. adrenaline. All these things go rushing through our body to help us fight the threat, run from the threat, or play dead from Mm -hmm. the threat. Mm -hmm. But what happens in our body is all our energy goes to surviving the threat. And so we kind of, our mind goes offline. Mm -hmm. Like we're not capable of learning when we're in fight, flight, or freeze because our our mind literally clicks offline. Mm -hmm. And then our body goes to, all our energy goes to surviving the threat, so we cannot fight off disease. We, mm. Our immune system can't fight because mm. all of it is going towards surviving the threat. So, and so it really is a whole body experience. So one of the things that you were teaching me in the, in the story workshop and, and Dr. Allender um, was kind of doing an overview of this with the brain is that, you know, when the prefrontal cortex goes offline that that's your logic and reasoning center and that there's no language in the amygdala, right? That's right. Okay. So it's we like- We lose our language. It fragments and we, we, we're we in shock and we can't really, our language isn't, um, as, I'm lear- as I'm losing my language right now, <laughs> right. It, it just becomes, it's fragmented. Mm-hmm. And so the brain- the body's just responding, but the brain is kind of weaving together some sort of narrative to just like keep you going. Like, yeah. you know, but it could be the wrong, I guess you could say narrative or a, or a false narratives, which, you know, that's part of that, what the brain will do with misinformation or if we've not processed it. And so 
this idea of like recovering your story of trauma feels really tricky for a lot of people because what you just told us is that little T trauma is just as impactful as big T trauma. And so like your body doesn't know the difference all the time, right? Between the two. So you could have experienced, or I could have experienced emotional abuse from a family member, but my body felt incredibly violated and Mm -hmm. my, and my body's doing these same like responses, um, of, cortisol and stress hormones and all this stuff. And, and my mind is like blank, you know, like I, I don't even have words for it, but I know I'm mad or I know I'm frustrated or I know I shut down in certain situations over and over again. So Mm -hmm. if our bot, like, how do we, what is narrative story work? I mean, because that is about recovering the trauma and kind of bringing it to center. So give us kind of a framework of how to work with trauma through this narrative lens. Sure. And it's such a good question. And um, the thing that comes to mind, I just want to take a little bit of a step back. There was a study in 1986 by um, a gentleman by the name of James Pennbaker. And he was at the University of Texas in Austin. And he did this research project where he had his students, he put them in uh, a control group and then a a non-control group, and he had them write for 15 minutes a day for four days. Mm. And in the control group, he had them just write on um, non-emotional topics like, you know, the the look and the feel of the laboratory or just everyday stuff. And then the other group, he had them write about tragic events and their associated, associated feelings and emotions regarding those events. And really so many interesting things came out of this research. Mm. But one of them was that there was a lot of crying with the group, right? They were crying and they were feeling, they were kind of reliving Mm. some of these tragedies. But afterwards, they had a visible experience of feeling better, Mm. which seems so counterintuitive, right? But after, and then the other group, the control group felt the same. There was no difference. They were just writing about everyday stuff. But the ones that were writing about these tragic events, uh, they felt better. There's something about going into the valley. There was even something even more fascinating about this study was that afterwards, when they followed up with them, he was really looking at the influence on our physical health and our trauma and and writing about our traumas. And what they discovered is that the students that had written their traumatic experiences had, I think it was something, and don't quote me on the the statistics, but it was something like 50% less um, visits to the University Health Center after they had written their stories. Wow. Right? It's, It's amazing. So they not only felt better, like, so if they were a little bit sad or depressed, they literally had like a lighter, more optimistic view of life after this study, and then they had less health issues. Hmm. And since then, there's been so much research. I mean, Bessel van der Kolk, he's written a whole book called The Body Keeps the Score Mm -hmm. about how trauma affects our bodies. So there's so much research out there around that. But the work of the Allender Center really, they've honed it to writing a narrative Mm -hmm. and really getting back on the ground of 
of big T or little T traumas Mm -hmm. and writing the story in a very um, unique way. Like they, they give, we give a lot of guidelines on how to write the narrative and, and what you're really looking for. You're really looking to kind of land back in the ground to the best of your memory. And Mm -hmm. of course our memory is fragmented sometimes, but to tell the story Mm. and then to not only write it for the sake of writing, but then to share it with others. Mm-hmm. And then Brene Brown, for those of you that know Brene, she has the research when when we share our shame, mm. because so often in our tragedy stories, shame takes root. Mm-hmm. And so when you share it with others and you are met with compassion and love and kindness, something shifts for us. Mm. And I've seen it in my own life over and over again. And this narrative work that I've been called to, uh, it's completely changed my life. Mm. So it's not just like a theory. Like I've actually experienced freedom from so much of my own kind of post-traumatic stress um, stuff, I'll mm. say, that that I was carrying with me. Mm. And I've just seen a shift and I, I see it in and people that I counsel and people that have come to story workshops, there's just a freedom Mm. that comes out of going into the valley of our trauma story. Do you think the freedom comes from the actual, like writing out the story or, and, or the sharing of the shame with someone else? Or do you think it's collective? I mean, I think it's both. I think there's something so profound about writing. I am a huge proponent of writing Mm -hmm. just as a a spiritual kind of practice to get our thoughts and our feelings out on paper. But there is something with shame that when it's exposed to the light and exposed to other people and it's met with kindness, Mm. something shifts in us. And I don't know exactly why that is. I just know it to be true. Mm. Brett, you did a story workshop a couple, was it a year ago now? Uh, Or has it even been a year? This is about Lori. This is not about (laughs) me. Yeah. No, Brett, tell us about your experience. Yeah. So, so when you did your, so if, if, if you don't know the Allender Center, you need to just go look it up and have your mind blown. And, you know, Dan Allender's like been a part of our marriage since the beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of his books, Mm -hmm. uh, Intimate Allies was kind of our marriage prep mm-hmm. stuff and it was great. So, um, when, when you told me you were going to do this and then what you had to do in order to do it, I was like, hell no, I'm not <laughs> doing that, please. And then I read your narrative. It was like, Oh, this is so vulnerable. And, and but like I had, I had known the story, but then to actually read the story right. just as, as an outsider was a whole different experience. And mm. I thought, wow, what is that going to, and then when you came home and you were like totally different, like, mm you're a different person today than you were before you went to that. And, um, and then I knew what you were going to do because as the one on the Enneagram trying to perfect this eight, you always know what's best for me. Dang it. It was that obvious. And so, you know, I knew sure enough, she's going to have this great experience. She's going to come home. And then all of a sudden Brett's going to have an appointment's going to be made and a reservation's going to be made. And here's where Brett's going. Oh my and, gosh. I was not. Oh, but I knew it was in your obvious. mind. Brett needs to come here. Cause it will change. If this will unlock him, this will do it. And so finally you just said, you know what? I think you might should consider this, but I'm not going to pressure you or push you. You just think about it. And I thought about it for a long time. I actually skipped over one round. Yeah. Well, honestly, 
you met Laurie. Laurie came That's, to our house. Yeah, so so Laurie came to our house. And <laughs> so I brought a teammate in. No, yeah, I'm that kidding. was so unfair for you to do. I just felt hijacked. No, it was it was a Baylor visit, but I was like, this, you know, he's heard about Laurie. He, but I don't, I don't think he really. Yeah, it was just it was a good friendship and a good way mm-hmm. for you to feel safe with another um, very strong powerful personality who also had a lot of room for vulnerability. Yeah. So I do, I do think in, in meeting you, Lori, that was kind of the the first step into that for me because I'm like, okay, this, this girl's like, we're like best friends and we've known each other like <laughs> five minutes and this is perfect and great and wonderful. And so I don't know. I, I, I just thought, well, let me just explore how bad could it be? You know, yeah. let's just give it a whirl. And so then there was a story workshop coming to Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. I went. Yeah. And was your, I know your, all of our experiences are so different, but can you just tell us, first of all, did, was it nerve wracking just writing? Cause one of the things you do is you have to write your story or a story, yeah. one story. You have to write a take like to the before, workshop. Yeah. I think I remember the detail being like somewhere between one and 18 years of age. You try to find 16. a 16, something like that. And mm-hmm. so I think the way our culture shapes us is that, you know, we don't think um, if I'm not a drug addict or um, a rape victim or so, then my little trauma doesn't matter. Yeah. It's not as, yeah. you know, it's not as profound as someone who, you know, was burned over 70% of their body in a house fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, and I had, had adhered to that as well. And so I think for me, it was like, well, I don't really have any trauma. Mm-hmm. And, um, so then to kind of go back in my memory and was like, oh, there's one. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I didn't never even thought about that as trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So then to actually write that out, I think that was probably one of the most difficult things. I do too. I think actually sitting down to write it is like half the battle and then Mm. sharing it. I remember, Laurie, when I read mine, you were like, can we just take a breath? Because you read that really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were just trying to power through that baby, weren't you? Yeah, I think. And I didn't even know that's what I was doing. But Mm. it was just like, let's read it. Let's get it done. Put it out there. And okay, what do we need to do next? Check my thing. Yeah, check it off the list. Absolutely. There's so much in how we read our stories as well Yeah, that informs you know, the, per, the people that are listening and attuning to you mm. gives you so much data mm. about how you are actually holding the trauma in your life and in your body and in your heart. Mm. And so, because we can't read our own faces, we cannot read our own bodies, but other people can. And that's one of the things that the Allender Center does. It trains people how to read story. Mm. Um, pastors and um, trauma workers and counselors and coaches and lay people and even business people mm-hmm. teaches them how to to read someone else, how to to look at their body language and look at their heart and hear their words, but even more important to read their face mm-hmm. as they read their words. You know, that is, that is good. And I think my experience going into it, cause I knew, okay, I got to write the story. I'm going to share the story with a group of strangers 
and then they're going to give me some feedback. So I knew that going into it. And I kind of thought, well, what, I mean, how is that going to be a thing? I don't even, I, I don't have my frame of reference, but mm-hmm. being a participant in that group and listening to other people's stories, it clicked. Cause I thought she, that lady just read a paragraph that is tearing my heart apart. Mm. My, the empath mm. in me is dying on her behalf mm. and she's reading yep. it with a smile on her face. Yep. Mm. Yep. What the hell is she doing? Like she's not understand. I'm like reading a novel or listening to a book on tape with her reading this. Right. Yep. And for her, it didn't even click. Right. Exactly. It didn't even click with her. And so then we were able to bring that, Hey, when you said this sentence, this is what I felt from you. Mm-hmm. And she just looked at us like empty eyed. Mm, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a thing. Oh, wow. For me, that was, those, those were some really powerful moments Mm. in that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because our stories, trauma fragments us and it disassociates us. And we have all, and this is why I love the Enneagram. I just have to bring Mm. the Enneagram. Yes. Come on. It's not a personality party trick to me. It's the ways we have survived the trauma, Mm. right? It's the ways that we've created these really beautiful patterns and adaptive strategies, like smiling as we tell a horror story, Mm. right? A story of deep pain with a smile on our face. That's an adaptive strategy that she didn't even know she was doing, Mm -hmm. right? And until someone could say, hey, did you know you're smiling as you tell this story that's breaking my heart? Mm. And it's like holding a mirror and ha- and and it's such a kind, loving mirror. Like it almost just reminds me of Jesus, the yeah. way he would would relate to people and say like, "Hey, like like he would take everyone like five layers deeper, right? Like see what was happening, but then go right right to the deepest part." And I feel like that's really what this narrative work does for mm-hmm. our trauma. Mm-hmm. It gets to these deeper layers underneath these adaptive strategies. But the the thing about the adaptive strategies is we need to bless them mm. because those are the exact things that helped us to survive the trauma. So it's like we can bless them, but we also give them permission to take a break. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to, to kind of mess with them, right? Yeah. I mean, Just, yeah. because it's like I don't want to keep – living into my ego, which has helped me survive. Mm-hmm. Like I want to get to my essence. I want to get to that childlike, loving, joyful space that was and is still present in me. I don't, I don't want to have to rely all the time on my adaptive strategy, on my ego response, but it's really hard. It's just hard to give, it's hard for me, I think personally to, once I, once I saw that in some ways they were hurting others and they were hurting me, it's, it, then it's hard for me to bless it. Mm. It's, it's hard for me to say, well, that was a good thing when I needed it. When I'm like, no, that's really a gross thing. That's, I don't want to, I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm just going to be all essence, which is just an ego (laughs) response. (laughs) Right. I'm going to do that all in my power. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it is, 
it, it is a real challenge. You, you told me one time that, um, cause I think sometimes in my past I saw good, bad, black, white, sin, you know, goodness or whatever. And you said, Emily, our sin is, it's just a big trauma response. I mean, sin is just a trauma response. And that mm-hmm. really removed so much shame for me surrounding sin or what I would consider or the church or, you know, these things that I've been taught are, quote, you know, so sinful. And I'm not trying to say there's not evil, you know, in the world and that, you know, but but what I am trying to say is that for me to recognize, like, it gives me so much more empathy for myself and for others if I can understand trauma and I can understand that most of us are acting in maladaptive ways because of trauma. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It, it shifted something for me too. I mean, I think we do, we focus so much on sin and what we've done wrong, but when we can get some care for the ways we've been hurt and then all these protective ways that we try to avoid being hurt again, uh, there's some, that's where I see the freedom really being born. Mm. You know, that, that is, I've noticed that in our um, Stop Demand School mm-hmm. uh, with our, the guys who buy sex and they have to take our class. Um, part of our curriculum is at the very beginning, we, have, we talk about the story of them getting arrested and how they got to where you know, they felt the need to answer an ad to buy a prostitute and go have sex or whatever. And that's just me trying to elementarily work in this story work. And for me, what it is exposed is not once of the 180 guys who've gone through so far, not one of them set out to buy a human. Mm. There's a, there mm. was an underlying story as to how they got to that motel room. And for me, yeah. it, it helped me to be able to not look at them as scumbags, you know, because we like to do that when, when their face is on the news. Oh, God, what a terrible person. What a scumbag. And right. now I'm, I'm able to have empathy with that. doesn't dismiss what they've done. Right. But you understand the deeper layers as to why that behavior was the act out because of this story that's going on, you know, over sure. here. And it's been powerful. Yeah. It's been powerful mm-hmm. for them as well. It's like mm-hmm. to to hear them tell their story and me to kind of dig a little bit deeper. And then they, it's like the bells click with them. You see mm-hmm. it, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, wait, I'm not a scumbag. I'm, mm-hmm. I did a scumbag thing, but I'm not. That doesn't identify me. Right. I need to get That's some help right. over here. Mm. That's right. And I and, and there's been so much re- research done especially when it comes to our sexuality and our ways that we use sex in harmful ways, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's porn or buying sex or just having unhealthy sexual whatever can very easily be tied back, maybe not easily, but can always be tied back Mm -hmm. to our own childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. Almost always. And until we can have some curiosity and kindness for those stories, for our stories of trauma and how our sexuality and our arousal structures have been set up, Mm. like we're going to just stay in contempt. Mm. And when we're in contempt, we just keep making choices and protecting and doing things that we don't want to do, right? That's why Paul's like, we keep doing what you don't want to do. Why do we do that? You know, and and it's going to take a culture shift in that because I was just at lunch today with a guy and we were talking about 
um, just the damage, the, the purity theology mm. yeah. has oh, actually God. put on our generation and sure. down. And so there, you have so many people walking around and it was all well-intentioned. Sure. I mean, they were great motivations, but, yep. but, but it, it, it has suppressed human sexuality that God beautifully blessed us with, but we were uncomfortable about talking about it candidly in the church. And so then we slap all these labels on and don't do this and don't mm-hmm. do that. And so yep. now you've got men and women in marriages. It's like, okay, yesterday, because we weren't married, it was illegal to have sex. And now today, all of a sudden, it's perfectly because we're getting yeah. married today. And that yep. does something to your mental status. Yeah. I mean, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally, totally feel what you're saying on that. We've got to... I, I have a question, Laurie, because... <laughs> You have chosen to to dig in and do with your life some some deep work, and I'm always curious about what your path here was like. Like, why are you doing work around trauma? Why do you care so much about narrative story work? And you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier just you know how much freedom um, this work, this narrative practice of writing and sharing without shame. Um, has given you in your own personal journey, but can you take us into that a little bit? Sure. I'd be happy to, I think. I'm like, wait, <laughs> I have to get vulnerable here. That's hard for I an did eight. it. You can do it. <laughs> a lot of practice, I know. <laughs> so, gosh, where do I begin with this? So let me take you back to this moment. It was probably about, 10 years ago. So I'm a believer at this point and, and a newer believer. I did, I did, was not raised in a Christian culture at all. And when I became a believer, I really did have like two or three years of, of this freedom. Prior to that, I was living with so much shame, with mm. so much contempt. I mean, my eight pattern was in high gear. Mm. I was angry. I was um, very short-tempered. I, you know, be, I could even call myself a bully. Mm. I right? just anything could trigger me, and I was very sharp-tongued. I very, very good with my words to hurt people. Um, and then I met Christ in a really, really mystical way. Mm. And then for like about two or three years, just was walking in this freedom. And then. Like a strange thing happened. I I would call it indoctrination, mm. and maybe that's a harsh word. But mm. I started feeling like I was put back on this this plan. Like, oh well, Christians do this and they don't do this. Kind uh-huh. of like the purity culture thing, right? And uh-huh. I started to buy into it again, and with it, all like the lies of my trauma, kind of came rushing back to me. And I found, and then I had some losses too. Um, my husband and I had lost a couple babies. My mm. father died. Two of my dear friends died of cancer. So I just was getting hit with some grief on top Mm. of just some church culture stuff that I was really wrestling with. And all of a sudden I found myself again, just pissed off, Mm -hmm. like angry and not just angry, but then also numb. Mm. So even with all these losses, I couldn't cry. I was just shut down. And the only emotion I could really access was anger. And then my body was not well. I was getting constant migraines and I had stomach issues and I just wasn't well. Um, and then my mind was really loud. 
like Mm -hmm. a lot of internal dialogue Mm -hmm. and a lot of you suck kind of inner voice. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, wait, where's this freedom that I had, you know, in Christ, like, where's this, this feeling I had, and it was all missing. And I was sitting at church and Dan Allender happened to be speaking at our church that weekend. And I heard this distinct voice. It was so distinct that I'm looking around like, who said that to me? But it was God. And God was like, you have so much to learn from this man. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, who said that? And so yeah. I started this journey and uh, did my own narrative therapy work through the Allender Center. And what happened there was really miraculous for me. I, all those things I kind of just shared, and there's so much more. Mm-hmm. I struggled with my own, um, I had a really bad eating disorder for years and years and years. And then when I, when I accepted Christ, it kind of just went away. But then with my tragedies and the losses, it kind of was rearing up again. And like I said, the anger, my husband and I were fighting constantly. But once I started through this, this narrative path, and was able to grieve, like deeply grieve for like these places in my story that even years of therapy, we didn't get to, Mm. but where I can have kindness for that little girl, because I didn't have big T trauma in my childhood. Mm. I had thousands of little T traumas, Mm. just thousands. It's like death by a thousand paper cups, right? Like, but I had dismissed it. I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. This over here, now that's trauma. Like I would look around the world and see just these injustices. So my trauma compared to that just seems so minor. But having to go into my own story and have people, women and men weep on my behalf, right? I, it's like I almost didn't have a place to put that. Yeah. But I allowed it and something shifted in me and I was able to weep for myself mm-hmm. and to really feel for that little girl who had to become so strong yeah, and she had to become so able at such a young age. And something about weeping for her, like my innocence was renewed. Mm-hmm. And that is the pathway for an eight is this innocence to be innocent again right. and to Right, because eights repress their their tender feelings. And so allowing these tender feelings, I don't know, something shifted. And all those things I said, the anger went away. And it really was miraculous. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I don't get angry because <laughs> Dave, my husband, would be like, oh, what are you talking <laughs> about? What about the other night? <laughs> so I still have my patterns, but there's just like a like a lightness of being. Like I, I feel that abundant life that Christ has promised us. Yeah. There's hope. There's, there's just uh, gratitude and hope and contentment that I didn't have before I did this work. And I have to continually do it. Mm-hmm. It's not a one and done. Right. Like stories continually come up and usually it's about the same two or three. And, yeah. and I have to enter back in. And find, you know, okay, there's more there. Because what happens in our stories is we make agreements. Mm. We make these vows against our goodness, against our glory. And they'll get tripped up, you know. They'll get tripped up in our with current triggers or things that happen to us. It kind of taps those stories again. And so that always, to me, is an invitation to go back mm. and to re-enter again because there's clearly more there. 
Mm. And so, yeah, I, I'm continually going back into my stories and, and reading them again and rewriting them and sharing them again with trusted friends and people that I trust with them. Mm. So it's an ongoing journey. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Brett. Hate to tell you, you're not one and done. <laughs> oh no, I thought we were done. I thought it was a move on. Uh, sorry, but no, I will. I will. I will agree with you, though. I, I do. There, there is, there is something for me that I found powerful in this journey, um, about being the adult Brett going back to the kid Brett in that experience in in that story. There's something to that that's pretty powerful. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember um, with coming back, I remember we were actually having dinner after I got back from the Allender Center, and I was sharing about my story, and somehow we started talking about a story from your childhood, and I, for the first time, looked at you very different and said, oh my gosh you're a survivor. You have experienced trauma and you got big tears in your eyes. You know, we're at dinner. I didn't get tears. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have tears. You got big tears in your eyes and you were just like, I don't know what to say to that. And I don't know if you said, I don't know if I can call it that. And I was like, well, it's, it's definitely something to think about. That's, that's what I see. That's what I've learned from this work, you know, and, and it really gave us a new lens to see each other to, like you said, Laurie, to, to actually bring compassion, which is so Emmanuel, that is so Christ in us to be Mm -hmm. that present God of compassion that can see the hurt and weep with it, weep for it. Like, I think that's what so much of us are missing is, is an understanding of like, I feel like a lot of us probably get that, okay, God's in control. I'm not maybe, or maybe, I don't know. All of us have the, but I don't know if we really, understand the compassion and empathy of God for us. That feels like, like if we can trust that, then God won't be powerful anymore. Like if I get too compassionate, if I get too empathetic, then I'm going to lose all my sense of justice or anything is going to go and I'm not going to have any compass anymore. Does that make sense? Like, at least for me, I feel like that is some of the, um, fear that I had is if I, if I give myself all this grace, if I allow God to love me so compassionately, if I find so much empathy in everyone's story, then I'm not going to be able to decipher what's true and what's not true anymore. Mm. And that feels very mysterious and very vague. And I don't like all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what about for you, for, for you, it may be something different, Brett, but what does having too much empathy or compassion, if there could be a too much, you know, but which I don't know that there is, but to have compassion, what feels scary about that for yourself or for others? I I, I don't think it's scary to have compassion for others. Mm. I think for me, the hard part was to have compassion for myself. I think that, I mean, if I think about it, maybe, 
maybe it feels weak mm. to have compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking back on it, um, and nobody wants to feel weak. Um, well, some people I mean, like I, feeling. I realize that's, the, that's what I'm saying. Each of us have like, right, some people but I, like feeling. I weak. don't. Right. right. I want to be right. in control right. and in charge and on my A game at all times. And so, to have compassion on a space where you know something traumatic happened feels feels vulnerable. It feels mm-hmm. weak. It feels wobbly. It feels <laughs> I was not in control of that moment. And so the natural response is to ignore it, put it away. Let's not talk about it ever again. That's in the past. Just put it away. So then to have to go back and visit it is like triple the vulnerable because then you have to explore and you're, you're immediately taken back to that moment and you can smell it and hear it and feel it. And it's like, Oh shit. We are (laughs) that I'm, I'm back at that 10 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like that moment for that 10-year-old. And so then you you see what happened, and then now the adult you wants to step in, but you can't because it's a memory, right? You can't really right. step in, but you can with your soul mm-hmm. and with your compassion. Yeah. And and I'll say, you know, you, you Islander folks use that word, we just need to bless that. We mm-hmm. need to bless that. And I think for at the beginning, that was hard for me to reconcile. It's like, how do you bless... Right. Somebody getting molested. Right. How do you bless yes. that? Right. Yeah. Right. But even and even in that even in that act of blessing, that's having compassion. It's not saying it's right. Mm. You know, blessing something isn't saying it's right. Mm-hmm. And I think right. I think we have to you know separate the two. What is Laurie talk about that? That is a big big deal for uh, those of us who've lived with trauma of how we get to a space of forgiveness. And, mm. and blessing when we've when when we've been violated when there's been evil and injustice happened to us. Yeah, that is such a good question, and I wish I had a great, wonderful, you know, <laughs> all-encompassing answer to that. And I don't. And I'm still on my own journey of forgiving and continually to forgive. And I just want to distinguish, like, blessing the whole word blessing, it's not blessing how you were molested. Mm. It's blessing how you survived. Mm. It's And it's also blessing that little boy or that little girl's powerlessness, right? Like, because when we're powerless, we will do anything mm. to find safety. We will do anything to find any sense of safety or survival. And in that, we're going to choose things that aren't that great. Mm-hmm. Like, like the porn mm-hmm. or perhaps hurting someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was a bully as a little kid, mm-hmm. but I was a traumatized little girl. Mm-hmm. And so in my trauma, I wasn't so nice to some other kids. So it's not that I'm going to bless my own sin for the sake of blessing it, but blessing it like, oh, she was surviving mm. and she was doing the best she could with what she had. Mm. That's what I think we mean by blessing mm. it. Right. Like all of those maladaptive strategies, mm. right? Even like the numbing or the disassociation or, you know, the addictions, mm. all the ways that we're trying to, to find shalom again right? when it's been taken from us, right? So we try to find it in ways that are not of God, mm-hmm. but, but we have to bless those before we can let them go. We have to say, okay, thank you for being here, 
to help me get through this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let you go now. And I think that's true forgiveness. Yeah. Like turning the other way and saying, thank you for being here. But now I'm going to choose to believe what God says about me is true, Mm -hmm. that I am glorious and innocent Mm. and perfect. And I did not deserve what came, what happened, what befell me. But I'm going to now walk in the truth. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we have to we have to bless those you know those strategies and let them go. I have so and many I have so many thoughts going through my head right now. Okay, um, yeah. I mean, Hear just them. hearing you say that, it, I immediately think about you know the the three circles: belong, believe, behave. Mm-hmm. Don Arterburn referred to that on an earlier podcast. Yeah, but that's such a trans. It's such a shift in paradigm thinking, you know, because our culture uh, relate everyone relates based on behavior. That's our, that's our first relating point. You have value to me if you behave in this prescriptive way that I think is valuable, and then you can belong. Right. But that's, that's not the way of Christ. The way right. of Christ is you belong to me. Yeah. And, yep. and because you belong to me, that's where your value comes from, mm-hmm. which then informs your behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, and if your behaviors get a little wacky, then we then then we remind you that hey you belong to me, and um, I, I I was just as you were talking about blessing that little girl that she was just doing the best she could given the circumstance. That's that. Yeah. That's that be- belong moment versus right. I can't believe that little girl did that. Yeah. Like, it, why did she? Why was she cussing at nine? <laughs> right. She right, should right. know better than yeah. that. And or she needs to mind or, her manners yeah. and quit embellishing stories. Right. No, she's surviving. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Um, Laurie, one of the things that you have helped me understand, and, and you've talked to our JSL staff about this too, is practicing rhythms of rest, practicing self-compassion. Um, what are some of these practices for, because when, if, if we're going to choose to enter into our stories and really own and get curious about why we're responding the way that we're responding. And I, and I'm, first of all, let me say this. If you know for sure that your, your body, like your physical body has been involved with trauma from childhood, adulthood, wherever it is in your past, um, then it's serious. That's big T trauma, right? Anytime your body is brought to harm, brought to violence, abandonment, neglect, abuse, Mm -hmm. this big T trauma, and it's worth recovering. It's worth dealing with because nobody just can reframe and move on forever. Like your body does keep the score, Eventually the energy runs out to coping and your body will turn on you. It will, it will turn in an attack. It will defend. It will, it can't, it just can't keep going. And so it's like so important to recover that if you've experienced emotional abuse, this is, this is really hard because I have both in my past and I will say that trying to quantify emotional manipulation or mm. emotional abuse is some of the hardest and bravest work any of us can do. And sometimes, especially when it is spiritual, when it is framed in the context of religion or church mm. or there's spiritual abuse at hand, 
like a an indoctrination that becomes very subtly harmful to having your own agency over freedom of voice and you can't question certain doctrines and you can't go against the system. That may be little T trauma, right? But it's like huge because you feel like you've lost your voice. Completely. And, and so often it's insidious. It happens over long periods Mm. of time, which Again, I go back to little T trauma can be just as devastating. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we have big T trauma, we see it. Mm-hmm. We see it on our bodies. We we people are like, oh my gosh, that was so traumatic, right? Like with your your hand, mm-hmm. Emily, the blood was everywhere. Right. Like there's no doubt that you had trauma. Mm-hmm. There's proof. But when it's little T trauma, we don't see the proof because it's it's internal and it's insidious, Mm -hmm. but it has the same effect on our bodies and on our minds. Mm -hmm. And, but sometimes it's harder to get to because it is insidious and it's almost in hiding. It's almost like camouflaged. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to dismiss it or not see it as important. And that was really my story. Like I had I don't have a story. I had a perfect childhood. Mm. (laughs) It's so far from the truth. Right. Right. Right? And so tending to it, I think your question was on our bodies and how do we tend? Yeah. Well, well, this fight, fight or flee, freeze it. What happens is this cortisol, we run out. Like we can't keep having that cortisol. We have adrenal um, fatigue. Mm -hmm. We run out of it. So then we find ourselves basically broken down on the side of the road and we have autoimmune disease and we have, um, you name it. We, yeah. we have it and we need to tend to our bodies. Mm-hmm. We need to find rest in ways that calm that fight, flight, or freeze response because what happens is it becomes hypervigilant. So that amygdala thinks even a look from someone passing yes. by is a threat. Right. And we're, we're in, especially, especially with our digital age and so much coming at us constantly and then the collective trauma of our world, uh, our country and our world that's in our face day in and day out through the media, through Instagram. We just see it everywhere. It's like we don't get a break. Yeah. And so coming up with rhythms or practices to give our bodies and our mind and our emotions true rest Mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of anything where you can calm that fight, flight, or freeze down. So what what are some of those things that you could say, listeners, you know, as you are dealing with trauma, mm-hmm. you're going through therapy, you're maybe starting to just even at home. And, and I'll say that was my, like my journal was my first counselor. And I had, mm. I had no idea that songwriting and that journaling were like therapy. I I didn't know. It's just, that's what I did as part of my, I thought it was just a creative outlet, but looking back, I'm like, oh, my, my journal was my first therapist. Um, cause you're offloading, you're, you're giving language and, and all this. So if, even if you're going to start at home, just journaling every day, just writing, just spending time with God, getting, into giving yourself rest, what are some other practices you can do as you maybe uncover something that's a little hard or tense, or maybe you need to put the pen down because it got your body's having a response? What are some things you can do to ground? 
so my favorite thing is breathing Mm. and it sounds so simple, but I will catch myself at least five times a day where I'm holding my breath, Mm. right? Where we contract when, when, when trauma comes at us or when something happens, we tend to clench and hold our breath. So having a practice of breathing is huge. And especially when you do certain types of breathing where you breathe in and then exhale twice as long as your inhale, Mm -hmm. that calms our parasympathetic nervous system down. Okay. So big proponent of breathing, taking deep belly breaths. And it's hard. Like, Like take a deep belly breath. We are just not used to breathing that way. But if you watch a baby breathe, their whole stomach just goes in and out Mm. with each breath. And that's actually how we're supposed to be breathing. And yet we breathe these little shallow breaths. Mm -hmm. So breathing is a big one. And it's pretty simple, but it takes practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other one, if if any other thing I could say, it's meditation. Mm. It's quieting the mind. It's becoming as present as we can to to the present moment because we do get caught up in these spinning thoughts and um, trauma fragments our mind and yeah. it does it makes us hyper vigilant and looking out for danger and so if we can come to the present moment and have that awareness that and meditation is tough I mean yeah. I'm an eight I do not like to stop and <laughs> meditate like it's actually. I would say I have a love-hate relationship with meditation. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Are you hearing me on that one, Brett? Oh, yeah. But I will will agree. I mean, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, Contemplative prayer? Yes, that. (laughs) Contemplative prayer has been, it's been my new favorite love-hate thing. Yep. Like, I I hate to have to do it, but then when I'm done with it, it's like, Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and here's the other thing, and this is where I wish we had like days to talk about this stuff, but because of our Enneagram patterns and numbers, it really is different for every person. Yeah. So for me, for an eight, it really is feeling those more tender feelings. Mm. So sometimes some of my self-care is watching a movie that makes me cry. Uh, and I know that yeah. sounds crazy to some people. That's but so I, you, Brett. Oh my gosh! Is that you, Brent? Wow! What are you talking about? I thought that was like you crossing over into forty, but I think maybe you're right, Laurie. Because I didn't start crying until I turned forty. I that okay? So you will do that, Laurie? You'll you'll watch a movie because it helps you connect with your emotions with my feelings right because i am as an enneagram eight i have a repressed feeling center and so that helps me to bring that center up to feel those softer more tender emotions and it makes me more integrated yeah it sounds very forced though to hear you say that you're gonna do that (laughs) and no you're right i mean uh, totally i mean put on this is us this is us and down goes frazier (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so my son, my little jet, he's mm. 14. His he's a five. Mm. And really what he needs to do is he needs to to do. He mm. needs to move mm-hmm. like for because he, his center is doing repressed. Mm-hmm. And so for him to go and do something active, he will feel so much better mm. because he's so thinking. He's so cerebral. So for him, it's doing. So I think for each of us, it really is an individualized thing that helps us to get back to kind of an integrated place. 
It's so good. You know, it's so true. And I just love how really all these good practices, whether it's narrative story work, trauma therapy, Enneagram, all the good is so it well, it's all connected, right? Even the good, mm. even the good and, and the ugly is is all a part of our transformation. Um and I just I love how you bring that really front and center to bear mm. on on the work that you do of really that integration piece is if so all if all this stuff is so good, which I agree that it is, mm-hmm. then why are so many people opposed? Well, Laurie, you may have a better answer. <laughs> well, we're all in a war, right? We're in a bit of a Dan Ellender calls it a story war, mm-hmm. but we all have resistance because we do what we do and we we keep doing what we're doing, thinking we're going to get some different results. But I, I would call that resistance, mm-hmm. right? And it's hard to change. And it's hard to admit that we are traumatized individuals. We want to, you know, keep going and keep doing in our own power. And yet we are in a really hurting, critical world right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just thinking on the way here, even just praying about this conversation. And I just thought, you know, I used to be so wrapped up in strength or, or supposed strength that I really kind of subconsciously thought, oh, I can handle any injustice. I am fine mm-hmm. going out for battle and and conquering, you know, the the problem or fixing the problem. And now I get why people choose comfort. I get why mm-hmm. people are done. <laughs> like I I understand why people go, I don't think I want to um, because it gets hard to find joy when you are in the line of work that we're in, where we're constantly holding not just our own trauma, but the trauma of others, you, you can self-sabotage a little bit into a comfort that isn't restorative. It's not like self-care. It's like right. nursing or scratching the itch, you know, um, yes. nur- nursing the wound, if you will. And so mm. I, I like... I think people, like you said, we've got patterns and physiology wins a lot of the time. Like it is harder work to go in spite of what I've been presented with, in spite of the injustice, I'm going to choose to see a third way. I'm Mm going to choose this middle road between the lines and pursue whole healing. I'm going to go a different way than my body, than my brain has been wired and adapted to do. And that, that just really is, is the work, the inner work of God to, it's a power greater than ourselves that can even give us a glimpse to want that, you know? Um, Yeah. And it's radical. It, 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 again, it reminds me of Jesus, like the way he would teach, it was so radical from what the people in that day were used to. And what I even hear you saying, Emily, it's like we are to take this radical approach. It seems counterintuitive. Like for me to put on a movie to cry <laughs> seems like ridiculous, right? Yeah. But it is repentant of me mm. to feel deeply and to, to, to grieve and to cry 
because of my adaptive patterns. Mm-hmm. And they're different for everyone, right? It's not a one size fits all. We all have different ways to, and I think even when you were talking to Brett about the demand school, the stop demand school, like it's repentant for some of those guys to, mm-hmm. to actually weep for themselves mm-hmm. and what got them to that point where they were buying sex. Mm-hmm. Like that's repentant because they're used to contempt. Right. They know right. how to have contempt for right. themselves and for others, but to have, kindness and and gentleness for themselves that's something that's almost like foreign Mm -hmm. right yeah and it just reminds me laurie you have helped us see that any any work in the world for justice and good that we're doing is if it's not grounded in love Mm -hmm. then it's just annoyed we're just noisy gongs you know clanging about and it really does start with how we practice compassion for our own stories, um, and how we see our own um, our own self as loved mm-hmm. and good and glorious, and you have definitely helped me to see that in myself, and I am mm-hmm. forever grateful for who you are. Oh, you're um, gonna make me cry. <laughs> that means so, so much to me, and I just need to say the two of you are doing such profound work in this world. And I've said that from the moment I met you and I say it now three years later, and I hope you will give yourself so much rest and grace Mm -hmm. because um, the world needs you to continue what you're doing, Mm -hmm. but you need to care for yourselves Mm -hmm. to keep being able to do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm speaking to you too, Brett. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know it's so hard, but it's, you're right. It is the older I get, the more I realize, yeah, yeah, we've, we've got to have grace for ourselves. Yeah. Um, Laurie, where can our listeners find you if they want, I know that you do Enneagram coaching for businesses and corporations. Um, you're based out of Chicago, but you'll go anywhere. Um, and yeah, tell us about where people can find you and how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Well, the best way is to go to our website, which is www.sothat.com, and it's S-O-W-T-H-A-T. And that's just our website, and there's um, you could fill out a just a contact us thing, and someone would get back to you. We do free strategy sessions to just talk with people. And I have a couple of business partners, and we, yeah, we're just really passionate about really integrating mind, body, spirit. Mm. And we do that through coaching, through teaching, through workshops. And yeah, we, I just like more than anything, like if I could just leave your listeners with one thing, it's to know and to be able to take hold of the glory that God has created you with. Like that's really my passion in life is to help people remember that they literally hold the fingerprint of God mm. in their body, in their mind, in their spirit. And to kind of, you know, tend to the trauma and tend to the stories that are getting in the way of you living out that glory. Mm. Amen. Well, it has been such a privilege just selfishly mm. to have this time with you. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I wish it could have been in person, but hopefully soon and very soon we'll get to see each other again face to face. And um, yeah, we've got to go to Chicago. I've never been there. I know. I've only been to the airport, and that was stupid. Yeah, Chicago is a great city. Well, these city. coming months, 
are not the ideal time. <laughs> right. Maybe in the you spring. Or the summer. Or right? the summer, yeah. <laughs> right. Or spring even, like May. Mm. May would be okay. May, June. That's your birthday month, Brett. We should go for my Maybe birthday. Maybe we can do a birthday trip. That's so oh fun. Oh, my gosh. We would love that. That would be great. Well, Lori, thanks for joining us. Yes. And I hope you guys, as our listeners, have enjoyed this look into what trauma is, why owning your story and doing um, narrative story work is important. I hope you've learned a lot from Laurie, and I really hope you will check out SoThat.com so that you can utilize her as a really wonderful resource. And as it was said to me, I would also encourage you to check out the Islander Center Yes, and the Story Workshop Weekend. Yes. Yes, there's one coming up in Chicago this April. Oh my goodness! And and they fill up fast. They they sell out really quickly. So if anyone's interested, sign up now. It is. It will fill up. I'm telling you, I was I was a naysayer, but I <laughs> I am a convert now. Well, we'll put a link to all of this on um, our website for the podcast, yeah. so you can make sure to check out these links and. Get in touch with your own story because the world needs your glory. It needs your goodness. Goodness. <laughs> I can't That's talk. Weird. It needs your glory. It needs your goodness. And um, yeah, we are thankful for you, Laurie, and what you're doing in the world. We love you. Um, thank you. Love you guys. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.